In the never-ending swirl of issues around COVID-19, parents are confronting questions and confusion that no generation before them has faced. I'm Gina DiPietro with Novant Health Healthy Headlines. To help parents get answers to at least some of those questions, Roland Wilkerson speaks with Novant Health pediatrician Dr. Kim Selden, who talks about when kids need an in-person visit to the doctor, whether or not hanging out at the pool is safe, and whether it's really a good idea to break down and finally host a sleepover with friends. At a few points, you'll hear Chase, the family dog, voicing his strong support for social distancing and other precautions Dr. Selden advises all of us to take. The popularity of virtual visits has really taken off um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. I think a lot of parents would like to know what visits are okay to handle in a virtual visit and when do they need to come into the office? Yes, so in general, I think it is important to know that as of about three weeks ago, um, pediatric practices have been slowly bringing children beyond just the um, infant checkups. Um, we've been slowly bringing all well child checkups um, back into the office and a number of same day sick visits. So we are slowly getting back to anything that a parent um, has wanted to see a doctor for in person. Um, we are pretty much back to doing that again. Um, so if there is something that a parent wants their child seen about, particularly, particularly if there's a red flag, a fever red flag, there's some concerns about dehydration, um, the child is complaining about an earache, all those normal things that uh, would concern a parent. We wanna see those kids in the office. Having said that, we are still offering virtual video visits. Um, one of the benefits actually to our shelter in place time with the emergence of the pandemic is that a lot of our families have been able to successfully get up on our my chart platform which is the gateway to doing um, these virtual video visits um, so it, it actually has been a, a really neat way for uh, families to access their their primary care doctor um, during this time so for most things um, uh, most things that parents are concerned about will also lend themselves to continuing those virtual visits if parents seem like they're more comfortable with that for now. So should a, an annual checkup, a well child uh, visit, should that, it sounds like you're saying that should be in person. Yes, we would like those to be in person. And in fact, any um, of our patients who felt the need to delay care, um, you know, particularly in the months, uh, uh, during the weeks of, of March and April, um, we really are trying, we're actually re actively reaching out to uh, parents of those children to make sure um, that we get them caught up. Um, so certainly we want to make sure that well child checks that we are bringing those kids in and seeing them. And you don't want to be delaying uh, any kind of a childhood vaccination, is that right? Definitely not. Um, you know, we obviously we have on the one hand um, lots of concerns. Um, about uh, the COVID-19 virus, but we wanna make absolutely sure um, that we are keeping up with health, health maintenance, including surveilling for um, normal growth, development, addressing any sort of nutritional concerns, 
um, and certainly keeping um, our children vaccinated on time. Great. Well, so I am going to run through a series of questions that I think an awful lot of parents are wondering, uh, and we'll start with one of the big ones. Is it safe to get on an airplane uh, for a summer vacation or to visit uh, uh, your grandparents, you know, five states away? Yeah, so air travel, it's, um, it's, it's a little tricky right now, um, especially since what one airline's is doing it may be different from another airlines. My general recommendation is that for now, um, I would encourage families to, um, to, uh, to not do any sort of travel that is not essential. Um, so any kind of discretionary travel, I would continue to put that off uh, for now. Um, if it is uh, feasible for a family to do a road trip, so this is a trip that they really feel like they need to take, um, it may actually be a safer way to travel um, would be to do a road trip, you know, making sure that you sort of plan through that whole process, making sure that you have all the supplies that you need all packed up and if at all possible, minimize the number of stops that you make along the way. Again, if that's uh, feasible to do in terms of the distance that you would travel, that's what I would recommend for now. And what, so what about summer camps, although we're not really quite sure at this point how many are going to be open. What about day camps and what about, you know, week-long sleepover camps? How should, how should parents be evaluating those? Yeah, so I'm glad you said that because I think the first thing that, that parents need to do is check to see if the camp that they're interested in <laughs> or that their child is interested in is in fact still open. And I think you'll find that um, it is so variable um, which camps are uh, proceeding this summer and which ones aren't. So that's the first one. And then if you um, find out that the camp that you're thinking about is open, the most important thing is to ensure that the camp is following guidelines that have recently been updated by the Centers for Disease Control. And also, this is just as important um, about, you know, in terms of whether or not they're following the guidelines, but it is that that camp is explicit in its communication about how it plans to follow those guidelines. Um, and I think, you know, going to different camp websites, I think parents will find, and this is sort of a, a positive thing more and more, that camps are addressing the very questions, you know, uh, that, that parents are having. So the first principle is that some camps are open, some are not. Um, any camp that is open should be following the guidelines that um, have recently been put forth by the CDC and should be, be doing a very good job at uh, communicating those guidelines. There's no reason for um, a camp um, uh, to not be very explicit in uh, explaining and addressing parents' concerns. I do have some red flags. Um, uh, that, you know, just as a, uh, as a pediatrician, uh, red flags for me um, when evaluating day camps as well as um, sleepover camps is that if they are not recommending face coverings in some form, so that should be a part of their recommendation. Now, they may not require face coverings full time, um, but there should be something about their protocol that addresses what they're doing about face coverings. Um, the second thing is um, a red flag for me would be is if there's lots of shared equipment 
Now, they may have very good disinfection protocols, but lots of shared equipment um, at a day camp or a sleepaway camp. That's another red flag when parents go through and evaluate these camps. Um, a red flag would also be a fitness gym because under North Carolina guidelines, they are still closed in phase two. Um, we don't know about phase three yet, but any fitness gym that has rebranded itself um, as a day camp, um, there tends to be a lot of equipment sharing and frequently touch surfaces in those places. So that would be a red flag. Um, um, camps where um, campers and staff are not from the same local geographic area. You know, so ideally um, you don't have staff and campers who are sort of descending upon, um, you know, Asheville, North Carolina, or, you know, a small mountain town um, in North Carolina for camp. Um, so those are the red flags. And then obviously when parents um, think about this, of course, if their child is a child with a chronic medical condition, um, which might predispose them to more serious disease, they should um, be prepared to have a, a conversation with their child's doctor and their primary care physician can help them to make that sort of decision. So it sounds like, I mean, you, you ticked off quite a few flags there. It sounds like parents really better be sure that um, there's a lot of attention to detail at these mm -hmm. places and that they should be very cautious before saying yes. Exactly, and, and I think that camps that are going to that have, that have historically been well run and that will predictably uh, be well run going forward are the ones who will um, try as much as possible to adhere to the CDC guidelines and be able to address and field whatever questions parents have when they pose them. Gotcha. All right, so on to another uh, big summertime uh, activity. The neighborhood pool. Uh, what and and then from there it'll be a swim summer swim team. So what about the pool and then the activity around the pool? Exactly. Um, so yes. Yeah, so um, as far as we know, and you know, goodness knows, this is a novel virus. We are learning a little bit every day um, about uh, this virus uh, that that causes COVID nineteen, um, but there is a lot of strong evidence that shows that as long as the chemistry of the pool water is optimally maintained, we should not have to worry about transmission of the virus through the water, okay? So the pool water, as long as the pool chemistry um, is where it needs to be, we don't have to worry about virus in the pool water. The most important thing, however, is what you alluded to, what goes on around the pool, so outside of the pool water. Again, um, diligent hand hygiene um, is gonna be really, really key, making sure that uh, people are washing their hands for at least 20 seconds with water and soap. Um, and hand sanitizer with 60% alcohol content or higher um, is a good substitute for that um, if you can't get to a sink with soap. Um, when you're around the pool, it's also important to practice really good respiratory etiquette. What that means in its basic form is, if you're coughing, um, you should not go to the pool that day. Um, it also means if you do have to cough or sneeze and that sort of came out of the blue, you want to be coughing or sneezing into the crook of your elbow 
This is something that we teach little kids all the time. Turns right. out that it's usually older people who don't do such a good job with that respiratory etiquette. Um, if you do cough or sneeze into a tissue, that's fine too, but just make sure that you wash your hands afterwards. It's also important when you think about going to the pool and spending some time there that because you're in a public space, you really should wear a cloth face covering when you're out, um, when you're out of the pool. Obviously, you shouldn't be swimming with a face covering on, but when you're out of the pool, um, you should um, plan to wear a cloth face covering, especially when physical distancing is difficult. And one of my worst fears is that um, as people feel um, more comfortable coming out of their homes, you know, in the days and weeks to come, that some of these pools, pool areas will become um, more crowded than we would like them to. Um, and so that leads me to my next part, which is um, safe to go to the pool um, if whoever is running the community pool or the neighborhood uh, pool has very clear uh, cut um, protocols um, for activities around the pool. Um, so things that would address hand hygiene um, um, and making sure that the pool, that the pool has well-defined protocols, adequate supplies, and also very good signage. Um, so that's going to be uh, critical to making sure that the pool is safe. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to say is that um, it's important when you evaluate the safety of the pool um, to know that there are lots of frequently touched surfaces at the pool, the chairs, the handrails, door handles, et cetera. Um, so again, just making sure that um, whoever's running the pool has uh, really good uh, disinfection uh, protocols. And what about, so part of the fun of being in the, in the pool, especially for kids, is the horse play and all that occurs closer than six feet. You know, there's wrestling or back and forth and kind of good natured shoving and whatnot. Is that, a, is, is that a bad idea? I mean, do people literally need to stay six feet apart in a pool? Yes, yeah, so in general, you know, the principle of social distancing does talk about one, avoiding crowded places, um, but then also staying away, staying at least six feet away from people who are outside of your household unit. Um, so it's one thing in terms of risk uh, for a group of siblings who are engaged in that uh, horseplay or mom and the little boy and you know dad and his son like that. Um, but there is a different risk when you're talking about children from different households. And um, I, I, I think that that is gonna be a, a particular challenge um, now that we're in this pandemic is trying to keep children um, from different household units to socially distance. Um, so yeah, so that applies in the pool the same way it does on the playground. So what, what about uh, summer swim or dive teams where things might be a lot more regimented than the kids just, you know, uh, splashing around in the water? Um, but they're still probably gonna be swimming closer than six feet uh, apart or maybe, maybe right at six feet. What's your thinking about whether or not swim, swim or dive team is a good idea this summer? Yeah, so just like any sort of youth sports um, that may want to proceed um, this summer, I think it is important that, um, uh, that coaches, um, so whether this is a dive team or this is you know, maybe a football team that's thinking about doing some conditioning, 
that they are implementing and enforcing social distancing amongst the teammates. Um, so that, that's gonna be a challenge going forward, but that is the expectation of public health officials and should be the expectation of parents as well. Um, for indoor swimming places, um, the venue operator should ensure that ventilation systems are working properly. Um, and so, you know, having, you know, good ventilation, good flow of air, if it's possible to open windows and doors, um, that would be great. Okay. Um, and so other, like, uh, um, summer uh, soccer and baseball, it sounds like some of these sports can't social distance. Um, parents, it sounds like, should be pretty hesitant or uh, careful about um, what, what they might expect or be asking a lot of questions. Yes, exactly. So again, that explicit communication is, is going to be really key. And, you know, I have to tell you, a lot of um, uh, day camp, you know, summer camp operators, uh, daycare centers, um, coaches, uh, people who are running sports teams, they have been working very, very hard to, um, and in some cases, even anticipate CDC guidelines, um, but also trying to be very, very creative in finding ways um, to also follow those guidelines. Um, and so I think, especially for this summer, um, parents should have very realistic um, expectations um, for what summer might look like in terms of camps and sports um, and, and communicate um, with the folks running those programs and ask lots of questions and, and have them answer to their satisfaction. Um, so switching gears here a little bit, um, a lot of uh, new mothers are already nervous by nature and all of a sudden they're, um, they're raising an infant in a whole new world. Um, how, how, does, how does a new mother parent in a pandemic and should they really be doing anything differently than they anticipated? You know, if there's ever a time um, to, and this may sound um, a little strange, but if there's ever a time to, uh, for a new mother to think about self-care um, while she is uh, parenting her newborn, that time is now. Um, it really is important for, um, for new moms at any other time, but certainly at this time, to try to rest and eat and hydrate well, um, to lean on uh, the folks who are part of her household unit to lend a hand. So whether that's a significant other um, or the baby's older siblings, you know, to really use those helpers and not feel like she has to do it all herself. I think it's also important, you know, this is different about the, this, uh, this pandemic that we're living through, which is to plan to connect with uh, friends and relatives on a regular basis uh, via phone and video chats, you know, because uh, bringing home a newborn um, can be a very isolating time. Um, but certainly, you know, when, um, when we are trying to socially distance, it, it can really compound that effect. So um, that is something that I would highly recommend. And we talk about this. We, we actually see quite a few babies at our office and we, um, we try to have these conversations to make sure um, that the parents of newborns are getting the support that they need. 
And then we also go back to um, the basics that we talked about before, and that is, you know, really making sure that the family unit um, is has brushed up on their hand washing hygiene. Um, that anyone from the household who leaves the house to go out is wearing a face covering. It's also an important reason why we ask the rest of our um, community members, the rest of our neighbors to wear face coverings um, to protect other members of the community. Um, practice social distancing when members of that household do go out um, and also be diligent about disinfecting those frequently touched surfaces in the household. You know, things like um, the computer mouse, the remote control, countertops and tabletops, um, all those sorts of things that we, that we uh, touch a lot and um, germs can sit there on the surface. So here's a tricky question. Somebody has, um, has a baby and the grandparents come to visit and maybe they even stay at a hotel or, you know, everybody is careful about social distancing, but grandma or grandpa wants to hold the newborn. Um, where are we right now with that? Yeah, you know, so it begins with um, whoever may come to visit, whoever the, the family of the, the new baby allows to come visit, that they do an assessment of themselves. Do they have a travel history um, that, um, you know, that would suggest that they may have been exposed to the COVID-19 virus? So they have to think about, um, is, it, is there any sort of potential that they could be an asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic carrier of the virus? And then obviously, if anyone is having any sort of symptoms at all um, of illness, they should not come to visit. So we always start there. And then um, if the couple is, um, is comfortable with it, the visitor, say it's the grandparent, um, the, the grandparents who are coming to visit, they should have a face covering on um, during the visit while they're holding the baby. So um, obviously that's a very, um, that's very intimate contact. Um, and they should be washing their hands, you know, so that diligent hand washing that we talked about. Um, in general, we think it's good to try to limit um, visitors um, during the newborn period, um, but there are ways to do that safely. And so the face coverings, um, hand washing hygiene, practicing social distancing whenever you can. Um, and so that's, you know, that sort of goes to the, lar the larger message of, you know, what we do individually has an effect on the entire community. So whether it's a household unit, when those members, you know, go out to run errands, you know, maybe pick up the essentials, the way that they conduct themselves out of the house is going to have an impact on that mother and the newborn who are back at home. It's also true that whoever those family members encounter when they go out, it's important that they're also following CDC guidelines, that they're practicing good hand hygiene, not touching their face um, as much as they can, wearing cloth face coverings when they're out. Um, so it's interesting in that all of this is interconnected in that way. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's a little overwhelming sometimes. Um, what about, uh, what about sleepovers um, with uh, just other kids? You know, having you know your best friend over for a night. If they if they social distance, 
you know, which would include, you know, not sleeping in the same bed um, and when they're playing together, keeping their distance. Um, is it safe to have a child from another house spend the night in your house or is that pushing it? That's pushing it. <laughs> okay. Yes we, yes, we advise against that at this time. Um, again, it's really hard for the host parent to ensure that that child who would be a guest and that all of the members of that child's household um, have not had some contact with an individual who has the COVID-19 virus. Um, and I'm telling you, as a parent and as a pediatrician, it's heartbreaking um, putting those kinds of restrictions on our own children and then recommending those kinds of restrictions um, for the children that we take care of. Um, but that is the way that we have to conduct ourselves right now. Um, so, um, yeah, that's the way I think about it is, you know, it's not just the one child who you would have spend the night. Um, and children have a hard time staying distant from each other when it's sleepover time. Um, that's a high uh -huh. bar for them. Um, but, you know, they will likely be uh, sharing objects, um, uh, be within six feet of each other. Um, but then there's the whole, um, you know, the, the added complexity of what that child's exposure has been through his or her household contacts. It's just too much loss of control, it sounds like. Correct. Gina DiPietro again. As we get back to life, everyone has questions. To help you make the best decisions, Healthy Headlines has more than a dozen stories covering a lot of territory, from shopping to swimming pools, that answer the questions you have about keeping you and your family safe. Head over to Healthy Headlines where you'll find those stories and many others. Meanwhile, if you found this podcast helpful, please take a moment to rate and review us. Thanks for listening.